Hey everybody, welcome back. Thanks for tuning. Oh, I said I wasn't going to say tuning anymore. Thanks for turning back on the Noggin Notes podcast and downloading us. And uh, we appreciate your listenership wherever you are in the world and uh, however you may be listening to us, whether or not it's on the Noggin Notes app or through some podcasting forum or just uh, live online at nogginnotes.com. We sure appreciate you listening. Today's episode is uh, one of a series of conversations I've had recently with people overseas, um, and obviously that's a matter of perspective. I am in the United States, so anything over a sea would be uh, overseas to me, and uh, this particular person happens to be overseas, or the over the pond, across the pond as we call it, in the United Kingdom. Her name is Jessica Robson, and you can find her at runtalkrun.com. And I discuss with her this project that she's gotten off the ground in not only the United Kingdom, but here in the United States as well. Uh, she's got two so far at the time of this recording, uh, run, talk, run uh, groups in California and in Michigan, respectively. And I'm not going to spoil the story by continuing to tell you more about Run, Talk, Run, but you can look it up yourself. It's a really fabulous way of uh, getting out, getting active, and just... Uh, hashing out your stuff with a group of other people who also like exercise. And as we know, exercise is uh, physiologically necessary to the psychological function of any human being. So we encourage you to go exercise if you haven't done so uh, up until now. But it was my absolute pleasure to talk to Jess. Uh, she's a delight. And uh, you'll hear at the end of the interview that she's uh, coming stateside in a couple of months. And, and I really do hope that she takes me up on the invitation to give her a brief tour of northern Nevada because I think it's beautiful where I live and if you've ever checked out the Zephyr Wellness YouTube channel you'll see clips of places where I've filmed that uh, despite their brown desert appearance I think are quite impressive especially the one where I was driving around Pyramid Lake. So anyway long story short it was my very distinct privilege to interview Jess, and I think you guys will find the conversation helpful and enlightening. And if you want to start up a run, talk, run chapter uh, or group in your neighborhood, I encourage you to reach out to her. If you want to reach out to us, you can get a hold of us at info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org, and we will be happy to incorporate some of your feedback into episodes, uh, either in the form of questions or perhaps people we interview, or I'll just do a listener mail thing. I haven't done one of those in a while, and I've got a few things accumulating, so we'll be tackling that sooner than later, I, I promise you. Without further ado, this is my interview with Jessica Robson from Run Talk Run. Enjoy. Okay, today on the Noggin Notes podcast, we're talking to Jessica Robson from Ro Robson or Robson? Did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> Robson, yes. Okay, well, I don't, I don't have your accent. It was Robson. Okay. <laughs> but um, you, you live in the UK. Tell me where. I'm in London. Um, I grew up in Brighton by the sea, but now I'm a city dweller. <laughs> and how has that switch been? Uh, I love it. I didn't think I would be here as long as I have. I, I thought I would come here for a year, get it out of my system and then go. Um, I've loved every second. So. What brought you to the city? Um, I think it was always a goal of mine, actually. Always liked the idea of it, um, but never kind of thought it would suit me very well because I was always ridiculously shy and quiet. So I thought, oh, I'll try it. It's not going to be for me, but I'll try it. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's worked out well. 
That's awesome. Okay, so you're on here, and the listening audience has probably already heard my introduction, which I have yet to record. But um, it's going to talk about Run Talk Run, which is your not only website, uh, runtalkrun.com, runtalkrun.com, and say that three times fast. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's a it's a group, and it's many groups, and you guys run and you talk, and the the focus is overcoming mental illness. And um, I want you to give the, the spiel because that's why you're here. And I don't need to steal your thunder. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yes, we are a mental health support group. And we operate both physically with real runs and virtually where there's an online community where we support each other. Um, the physical runs that we host are a gentle five kilometer jog whereby I encourage people to talk about their mental health and to support each other through what might be a difficult time. Um, I don't force the conversation, but I reiterate that it is a safe space to bring that. Um, and I find that running is just such a wonderful way to facilitate those conversations in a less intimidating environment. Um, so yeah, we now have 15 runs weekly um, in both the UK and America, and yeah, it's growing. It's got a lot of momentum behind it at the moment. I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions, but first I want to validate the idea of running and talking, because uh, a lot of us in our field are starting to move toward this uh, walk and talk therapy. Not everybody can run, especially if they're in you know uh, work clothes from the day or whatever. But instead of coming to the counseling office and staring into each other's eyes in a very intimidating environment you know, on the you know chair or the couch or whatever, mm. uh, more and more professionals are starting to get out and will take walks around the block and whatnot. And I, and I find it really beneficial because... Being side by side with someone instead of, you know, gazing into their eyes in a very intimate capacity, actually, we find that it opens up dialogue, much like, you know, sitting next to each other in a car staring out the windshield yeah. is a lot less intimidating and, and the conversation just, just flows more freely. So it's really cool that you're doing that um, and know that we as uh, you know professionals are also starting to do it too. And it is an emerging trend. And I think the reason it wasn't done before was simply because our profession tends to stigmatize itself uh, through the colleges and universities. When we when we go through our graduate programs, we're told to hold the high aspirational ethic of maintaining people's confidentiality, and um, and you can't. And we're basically just told you can't have those conversations in public because it's it's an it's inadvertent. It's a. I'm sorry. It's inevitably a breach of their confidentiality to to have those. Uh, therapeutic conversations in public and, and it turns out um people don't really care about that they're they're there to get help and they don't really care what environment it takes place in and um so when we're walking around the block they they know that they're going to be discussing you know personal matters and they can possibly be overheard but you know for a couple of seconds as you walk by another person it doesn't seem to matter and and the the benefit from it is it far outweighs any risk so i appreciate that you're doing that my first question is how did this start you're you're a runner by nature right you you normally run and then you yeah. decide to develop this so I've been running on and off um for about six years and it's only with hindsight that I realized how how much running really is good for my mental health and sort of linked the periods of good mental health to times when I've been running consistently or training for something um 
but in the summer of 2017, uh, my mental health took a massive nosedive, and um, I was really struggling to live in London um, and cope with depression. It just all felt so overwhelming in the city, so I was going home to stay in the country with my parents quite a lot because that was a safe space for me. Hmm. And it was on those weekends at home where I was escaping London life. Uh, my mum would drag me out for a run. And <laughs> it was so reluctant. I was so reluctant about going out with her. But every run that I had with her was just so so much more effective than any therapy session I'd had in London. Um, I was opening up far more than I was in the therapist's room. I was just being a bit more honest about what I was going through. It felt so much easier to open up, like you say, without that intimidating eye contact and in an open air environment. I was, I think there's multiple reasons why I was finding it easier, Um, but those were the big ones, the eye contact and being outside. Yeah. And I think it got towards towards the end of the summer and I think my mum was sort of uh, not getting fed up with me, but (laughs) she she was uh, suggesting that perhaps I found some people to run with back in London (laughs) (laughs) because it wasn't really sustainable for me to keep coming home. Um, So I was still very depressed, but I did just that. Um, I came back and on the Monday I put out an Instagram post sort of saying does anyone want to come and run and chat with me Um, because it's going to be really helpful for myself and I think we need more places where it's okay to talk about what we're going through and it built from there that's that was the idea behind it that's amazing and I, I assume the conversations on your runs tumble out pretty naturally, not because you said you don't force the, the conversation, but I think the presumption is everybody's there for the same thing anyway, right? Yes. Yeah. Everyone comes with the knowledge that it is that safe space and that people there, though they don't have the same experiences necessarily, will have a mutual understanding um, of what it's like to go through mental ill health. So, What do you do professionally? Um, so I used to be an office manager and it was only about six, seven weeks ago that I quit that nine to five so I could, uh, pursue this with more energy and time. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. Uh, scary, scary leap. Um, yeah. I mean, this is free, right? It's just a bunch of people running together and you're just coordinating it. Exactly. It's not making me any money. I am broke, (laughs) but I am happy. (laughs) That man, that's so powerful. Yeah, I mean, I've taken a part-time job in a running shop just to, you know, keep me alive and stuff. Sure. <laughs> but the, yeah, the rest of my time now, I can invest into pouring my heart into Run Talk Run um, and applying for grants and funding and things like that, things that I didn't have time to do before. So um, hopefully I can make Run Talk Run more sustainable and a long time, a long-term service for people i hope so too because that sounds amazing you and so you've reached into america tell tell us about the expansion a little bit where did it start how did it grow and then how did you make the leap across the pond as they say 
so actually it was um, a lovely, lovely lady in California who reached out to me. It wasn't actually um, even on my radar to sort of um, establish Run Talk Run in America. Um, There's a lovely lady called Kirsty who sent me a message saying she was a therapist and she loved what I was doing. She's been hosting um, similar walk run um, environments for women who have just had babies. So she was already doing something similar and she said, I, I, I love the Run Talk Run ethos and community that's existing already because Run Talk Run is much bigger than just the runs that take place. You know, there's so much support outside of that. And she said she wants to get involved. So um, I thought, why not? Why not have a run in California? So Where in California is it? Uh, Los Altos. So my geography is actually terrible, um, and I probably couldn't put that on a map. But um, yeah, it's uh, so actually that's in Northern California, just south of San Francisco. And, <laughs> Thank uh, you. San Francisco is only about three and a half hours away from Reno, where I am in Nevada. So that's actually quite proximate to my own town. And I'm, okay. I'm thinking about this. I'm like, there's no reason we can't do that here. I mean, there's so many runners here. And I know clinicians who are runners and people would probably want to fire that up. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, now that that one's happened in California and I think other Americans have seen it, we've had a couple more inquiries about setting them up over there. And I think, you know, why not? Like, why not have these in as many places as possible? That's kind of my my take on it. The more communities that exist, where well, tell you, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I tell you what, what's what's really, I don't know, it's it's humbling and kind of mind blowing simultaneously. Is I uh, this earlier this morning? I don't know if you can believe that, but I actually was up earlier this morning. I had a conversation with uh, some folks in India, and uh, so there's a little peek behind the curtain to the audience. Sometimes we record these on the same day, even though they get released every week. Um, but it's. <laughs> I can't. I still. I still pinch myself. I can't believe that I'm having a conversation with somebody who's a half a world away uh, about the common language of helping one to help oneself at, with regard to mental illness and mental health and um, staying mentally well. And the global community that's fostered by technology is just. It's just incredible. I mean, for as, for as much as we want to bemoan it and all its. Um, problems you know and the, the anxieties that it may create through social media and so forth look what awesome stuff is happening i mean you you got contacted by a gal who's nine hours away or whatever and wanted to do what you're doing and and, and it's all in the spirit of helping people it's amazing it is it's such an amazing way to feel connected to other people just that yeah like you say that shared drive to help another person or a group of people even um, yeah, it's a wonderful feeling to feel that connected. I want to talk to you a little bit about your own struggles and how you first recognize that you're in them, how to pull out of it, what didn't work, and then ultimately we know that you know Run Talk Run uh, did work, uh, and then how do you how do you go about maintaining your own mental wellness? So I'll just let you ramble. Sure. Um, so I had a yeah a host of unhealthy ways to manage my emotions as a teenager. Um, that was when my sort of mental health struggles really took form. 
I, um, like every other teenager out there, kind of struggled with self-esteem. Um, yeah, finding my place as, you know, who I am. Mm-hmm. And um, I experienced my emotions on quite an intense level, and I still do. And I ended up turning to um, bulimia as my way of coping and bringing up my food was yeah it was my coping mechanism it it made me feel like I was ridding myself of all the intense um, emotions that were flying around Um, and that lasted um, from about the age of 14 to 19 Um, and it was only when I went to Oxford to study that I decided I wanted to (laughs) engage in like the student life there and going out and partying didn't mix well with bulimia and I thought okay I'm I need another way to stay slim so Mm -hmm. by that point the eating disorder had definitely become more about body image so um instead of bringing up my food I started running and although that came from a very negative mindset of I don't want to gain weight. Um, it actually became the very thing that was pulling me out of um, my anxiety, the negative relationship with food, all of that. So it was almost within a couple of weeks um, I noticed that I had a much better way of looking at my body. I was suddenly very grateful for the fact that my body could could run (laughs) essentially um I was looking at it more than just an aesthetics thing um I had a self sense of self-esteem a new sense of identity um it helped in so many ways now it sounds almost the, the way that you lay this out like there was a magic wand effect you started running and things just started improving but there's some insight along the way that I'm detecting there and some self revelation I'm wondering what other tools did you use were you talk I know you were running with your mom at one point when you went home but were there other people around did you seek you know professional help uh, you know via traditional counseling were there any medications involved were there internet studies you know books what what was going on there to help you get this insight as to what was going going on among your eating disorder the body dysmorphia the anxiety like those are all separate things it sounds like you filtered out in your head it's funny to say that um one thing that I did do that was healthy um throughout my teenage years and something I continue I've done it up till today um is keep a journal and that has really helped me reflect on the changes that took place in my outlook um, from the days where I was bringing up my food to the days I was running, just the difference in my outlook on life and outlook on my own self. Um, Yeah, it was very quickly the the change in dialogue I had towards myself in in my journal. Did you see that, like when you, in your own writings? Yes. Yeah, very much so. I used to be very obsessive about food, very obsessive about um, what other people would be thinking of me. And that changed within a matter of, yeah, like I say, weeks, months of into running. Um, 
it was yeah amazing I'm not saying it was the only thing that um <laughs> that cured me but I think the decision to start running was obviously the biggest turning point I don't know where our listenership reaches uh I know that we you know have an international reach um but we don't have very good metrics on understanding who listens to the podcast but i can reasonably assume that there are some people out there who are listening to this and want some inspiration and direction and you you're certainly giving it um that's why i'm asking the questions about what else did you do that seems you know maybe for somebody who's not a runner or somebody like me who has a who had a knee surgery seven years ago and has a knee that hurts all the time and would love to run but can't um what what other modes would you recommend deploying if people you know maybe want to get into running but can't maybe there's a a proxy exercise that they can do or you know journaling obviously we, we push that because the noggin notes app is in itself a journal uh just digitally held on your phone uh so t- talk talk a little bit about that and, and uh, people you've encountered maybe along the way who are like man this is really cool but i'm not a runner Okay. Um, I think one of the biggest, biggest things that I do to keep myself afloat, (laughs) shall we say, (laughs) is getting enough outdoors time. I mean, yes, running comes into that a lot, but it doesn't have to be running. I, I, even on my rest days, I have to be outside for a significant portion of the day. Um, I find that really, really helps me. Um, it could be just a brisk walk or, even just nipping out to get shopping, just making sure you get outside at least mm-hmm. once a day. That's that's a big deal to me. Um, I think I think that investing myself into running has helped me massively look after my body in terms of what I eat um, and eating nutritiously uh, to <laughs> to help myself. You know, be able to do the things that I love to do. So I think that's really played a big positive part of my good mental health now i got to imagine the community in which you float and operate there the, the the running community also has to help that right oh massively massively i have a lot to thank run talk run for in terms of overcoming social anxiety um and being fearful of talking to new people <laughs> um, um at the very start of it Obviously, I set it up and I was still very depressed. And like, I would feel sick with nerves um, before every run to run, just due to the fact that I was beckoning all these strangers to me. It seemed bonkers at the time, and I didn't know why I was doing it. But yeah, bringing that community to myself or throwing myself into community, that has been a huge, huge part in, yeah, making me feel... Like I, I have support, um, and I have people that I can talk to when yeah things things aren't going so great. It it sounds to me like you have almost willed yourself through this process, and or and or maybe you're just floating unconsciously through it. But <laughs> it, there, there's I mean there's some serious obstacles there that. Uh, are not easy to overcome and i can imagine people listening to this going uh that's not me i'm i'm an no i don't want to say non or anti-social we say non-social but um you know, the same same type of anxieties exist where they're saying to themselves this sounds great jess but i don't i don't see myself doing that um and, and obviously to combat some of those issues like depression depression t- t- tends to by the way for the audience 
Depression wants you to be by yourself alone in the dark doing nothing. And so the way you combat that typically is you, you get out moving uh, in the light uh, with people. So uh, certainly running or exercise does that if you're if you're out with others. Um, and anxiety can, can prevent that too. It can be just as big of a, of a roadblock where you make all sorts of excuses not to go do what you did. Um, how did you, how did you work through that? And what was your self-talk along the way to, to commit and then maintain it? Oh, the journeys to run to run and <laughs> just an internal debate. But I think my biggest, because in the early days, um, it was very unknown whether anyone would actually turn up. I would have lots of runs where I would go and put myself at the meeting point and no one would come. But I always thought to myself, <laughs> as I was walking to run to run, it would be the one day where someone will come and someone else will be working through this anxiety like I am right now. And if they turn up and no one's there, then, you know, I have massively failed them. So I guess it was my <laughs> my unwillingness to do that to another person that actually got me there. And I suppose, yeah, that was the biggest drive, actually. It's like you had a sense of duty and commitment to these strangers you had never even met yet. Essentially, yeah. And without even knowing if anyone was even yourself. It was just that possibility that someone else would have pushed themselves to come along um, and, yeah, be met with no one actually there to host a run, I thought. Yeah, that was Yeah, that was a big push for me. Did you do you have anxiety right now from coming into this interview, this podcast? Yeah, I do still experience anxiety on a much smaller level. Um I do experience anxiety talking to people I've never spoken to, which is the case here. <laughs> I'm not sure that's pathological though. I don't know that you know somebody needs to address it on a high professional level. I think that's probably normal human nature where you, you know, you have a little sense of apprehension going into a, a new environment. So, uh, you know, again, for, for the listening audience, if, if you're trying to discern what is and is not appropriate levels of anxiety or depression, um, we, we could always default to the book. I mean, we have this diagnostic and statistical manual, otherwise known as the DSM, that tells us that something is not a diagnosable uh, disorder unless it's it's interfering at a what what they call a clinically significant level in one or more important areas of life. So, the fact that you're on the air, well, I don't know if we're on the air. I guess we're on digital recording. recording. <laughs> At some point, <laughs> they'll go over the air. Um, I don't know. Do, do podcasts go over the air anymore? I don't even think so. It's not a radio. Anyway, sorry, rabbit trail, uh, squirrel. Um, but uh, the idea is that because you're here and you're having the conversation, it's it's probably not clinically significant interference, no. and that's probably just human nature. Um, I mean, there's there is a healthy level of anxiety that pushes us to study for tests so we don't fail, and you know, go practice our sports so we don't um, bomb in the in the arena of competition. And and like you were saying, you know, to go show up at your own event to make sure that people uh, had somebody to run with, and and I think those are probably healthy motivations. So we don't want to. You know, overanalyze this to the point where you go, oh, I don't want any anxiety in my life. That's no, then you wouldn't want to no, be motivated. Not at all. <laughs> um and I, I do recognize it as, you know, being healthy now, like this is normal for me. Some people will have no fear in talking to strangers. 
Mm-hmm. But I think I always will to some degree, and that's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think accepting that that's okay has also helped me a lot. I used to really be quite hard on myself for how uptight I got about going to social events and stuff. But the second I was like, right, okay, you are a little bit introverted. That's okay. We can go to this party and then we can go home a bit early and it's fine. Um, I think you're meeting yourself where you are. Sorry? You're, you're meeting yourself where you are. Oh, exactly. And just being a bit more accepting. Um, so yeah, you're right. There is healthy levels of anxiety. I heard that you want to find some sustainable funding in the form of grants or maybe, I don't know, I would assume governmental funding or maybe just community donations or whatever. Um, where do you see this going long term, five, 10 years, 20 years even? That's a really good question. Thank you. I love it because I asked it. <laughs> to be honest, my main concern is. Not so much growing each group individually to attract more runners. Um, The idea is to have as many different communities dotted all over the world as possible so that there are more, well, so that it's more accessible for people, essentially. Um, In my biggest drive with, sorry, I think that's my computer beeping. Um, my biggest drive with applying for grants and funding is actually to look after the run leaders um, so that they feel supported in offering this safe space mm-hmm. um, because it is a, it's a huge responsibility and I don't um, underestimate that so if I can offer them training or you know therapy for themselves um, to look after themselves throughout the process of being a run-to-run leader, that's where I want it to go. Um, yeah, I, I see it just growing and more communities being built, essentially. Bro- broadly, and so it, you'd have uh, more of these little satellite groups that mm-hmm. then would have their leaders trained up to do it the right way. And, I, and I, I specifically use those words, do it the right way, because as I'm on runtalkrun.com, there's... Uh, rules and there's a rules page and I was like what do you mean rules uh this is a volunteer group but it's it's important to have structure and I wanted to just list off a couple of the bullet points because they jumped out at me um so these it says they're in place to maintain the run talk run values which are there's only three of them we listen not advise uh we believe in forming friendships and community and we do not give a damn about pace. And I think that's awesome because you know, it's non-competitive. And then below that, the, you know, the, the rules behind the principles are run as slow as the slowest runner. It's not the responsibility of people at the back to keep up with the people at the front. We're there to listen but not advise, which is a reflection of the principle. If we don't have something kind to say, we don't say it at all. And that comes, I think, from Bambi. Uh, <laughs> uh, we don't leave anyone behind. And uh, then finally, it is a confidential space. And, and I really appreciate that because you're basically aligning with the professional counseling principles without pretending to be counselors, which mm-hmm. I, I really, really appreciate. Talk, talk more about the structure. So the structure at the moment is that no one uh, needs to be trained as a therapist, counsellor, coach, any of those things, to be a run-talk-run leader. Because the premise behind it is that we are just ordinary people supporting people. Um, And to make mental health support 
more accessible, I think we need to take responsibility for the people around us and be those pair of ears for each other. Um, so I haven't set a certain criteria for a run leader to start a run talk run for that reason. I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, obviously in an ideal world, yes, there will be trained counsellors because they'll know how to handle these situations more effectively and safely. But by the same coin, I think I'm quite a good pair of ears. I don't have any training of the sort. And, you know, I think we, yeah, like I say, we need to take more responsibility for looking after each other. And I think this is the way to make that happen. I couldn't agree more. And in my community of professional clinicians, at least in the United States, there, what you're saying and what I'm agreeing to here is it almost approaches a line of what could reasonably be considered professional heresy, where there are people in our profession, often in the education circles, who say, you know, with with cringing faces, you can't go do counseling without a, you know, the, the degree, the certification, the licensure, the experience, the blah, 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 blah. And the simple fact is that human beings have all the same human nature. So uh, that's that's basically saying if you're a human being and you've done something, another human being can do that same thing. We all have the same potential, uh, the same capacity within us. So if somebody has done something, it is therefore human nature because a human has done it. You being a human have the same nature and you therefore have the same potential to do what they did. And in this particular instance, you have, you, Jess Robson, have overcome uh, your own mental illness through um, your own path and you want to share that with others. That is not at all different from counseling other than we get trained to say some fancy words at the right time uh, based in theoretical models and so forth. But um, human beings, one human to the next, and just having that connectivity to be able to listen, validate, and be there for one another is absolutely crucial to community-wide healing. And I really appreciate that you're doing this because I think that it's a really dangerous path to go down if we believe that in order to help someone, you need a professional degree and a license because then suddenly we're just limiting ourselves to this um, world in which people have to be, you know, jumping through hoops to to be able to help one another. And that doesn't that's not even true. I mean, you, you do it in a running group. Bartenders do it all the time. I mean, hairstylists do it. <laughs> so, like, what? I don't think I think we need to get out of the idea that, you know, if you're struggling, you need to go seek professional help in the counselor's office. Sometimes what's necessary is just go to a trusted friend who's just going to listen and not judge, you know. So I appreciate that you're doing that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think even now, um, I'm very much out of my mental funk, so to speak. But I still have bad days. And on those bad days, I don't necessarily need to see a professional therapist. It's just a bad day. But if I let those bad days accumulate without talking to anyone, it could very quickly mm -hmm. spiral into something much worse for me. So and awareness is key. And you've got that awareness now. And you've got a support network where you go, yeah, I'm noticing I'm a little funky the last six or seven days um what do you what do you think's going on somebody who knows you really well can just reflect that and be like hey you you know you you actually haven't been running for a week and you go oh good point I mean that's that's very yeah. simple and you probably already know that but there are things like that that just require a little bit of a tweak and you don't need to go access your insurance benefits for it no no exactly 
Um, it's fun to be watching people support each other as well. I mean, oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, and truly magical spiritual things can happen through that kind of interaction. It's it's just a joy to be a part of the journey. Yes. What do you ever see actually implementing licensed clinicians in these communities or leveraging them? Maybe I should ask how many are in the the running groups as a whole. Um, that's a really good question. I'd say. About a third of our run leaders are trained um, okay. as either counselors, therapists, um, different routes of training, but have been trained in some way. Um, mm. And I think that's great. You know, like that, that is fantastic. And they will feel perhaps more prepared to take on those conversations. Um what I see moving forward is actually having the help of of a therapist or several therapists um, to help me deliver training to the other run leaders. Um, just in basic things like boundary setting and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, just some the most important bits perhaps in hosting that kind of space. Yeah, I think there's definitely room for that. And I think it's already being done in places like um, uh, community mental health workers or community health workers broadly. You know, they, mm. they come out with a, a bachelor's degree or some of them even just have a high school diploma and they're out there basically assisting in ways that the that licensed professionals can't because there just aren't enough licensed professionals. Right. And so what they, what we do is we just, we train them up in the basics, like you were just talking about. So it's like, here, here's, here's a, here's an ethical code, you know, be, be paying attention to these things. And, um, even though you're not necessarily bound by some sort of regulatory body that's going to, you know, shake its finger at you or fine you or take your license away. Um, here's some general principles by which you can operate that'll value people's process and uh, meet them where they are. And, and you can still bring healing and redemption to, to those who are suffering. I think it's awesome. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. So have you been to the United States? Uh, yes. Um, I actually had my first trip over for New York Marathon in November, which was amazing. <laughs> Wow, you, you ran the marathon, huh? I did. I ran it very slowly, but I enjoyed every minute. Um, it was amazing support there. Um, really, really crazy support, to be honest. Like, very That's enthusiastic. Cool. <laughs> who, who showed up to support you? Oh, so I didn't actually have um, people on the other side of the barrier. I went over with my mum, though, who was also running. Okay. So it was lovely to know that she was out there on the course with me somewhere, somewhere ahead of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I had a lovely trip. Um, and I'm going to be back in America at the end of March for another running endeavor. <laughs> Where are you heading? Um, so I'm doing the speed project, which will take me from LA to Vegas. Hmm. On foot. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a what project? It's called the speed project. And essentially, it's an ultra relay. So I'm going with a team of other ladies. And yeah, we will, between us, cover 340 miles. Well, Vegas is uh, only a six and a half hour drive from Reno. You got to pop up and check out Lake Tahoe. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be really cool. Um, 
again, like I say, my geography is terrible, but I'll definitely look it up and see see how I would get there. Well, my studying is terrible because I'm just now poking around the, the website on the where, where we, we run. run. All right. And uh, it turns out there's Run Talk Run Michigan also. Yes. Yeah. So next up is obviously Nevada. I mean, right? We're having this conversation. It has to happen. I might as well just set it up while I'm over there with you. <laughs> just, That's just true. true. That's true. You can. And I'll introduce you to some of my running friends. One one of the uh, uh, clinicians who runs another agency here in town, uh, he, I'll just give a plug for him because he's an awesome guy. Dave Briggs is his name and True North Treatment is the, the agency. And I know we have a lot of listenership in Northern Nevada. So TNTCReno.com, True North Treatment Center, Reno, TNTCReno.com is the website. But he's a... He's a long distance guy too. One of those hundred milers that I don't know. I just see that stuff and it makes me ache. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not quite at that level. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe one day. I think my my wife might be at home right now on the treadmill. Now that I think about it, I don't know if she wants to necessarily head up a group, but maybe she can. Yeah, she might like to get involved every now and then. That'd be cool. So your next steps, let's let's talk about what you, I mean, if you had an ask of the listening audience, of your uh, community, your governmental leaders, what's the next step for Run Talk Run and where do you want it to go? So my goal for the year is to have one in every county in the UK, of which I think there are 26, and one in every state. So this is a good step, I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, so I'm focusing on the UK and America as a priority, I suppose. Um, and if they they happen to spring up in other places, then that's just a bonus. Um, so yeah, having having as many in the UK and America as possible is the focus, and then funding and grants um, is the other focus because, like I say, I want to operate safely. Um, yeah as I go so I think that will really massively help even in terms of you know a high visibility kit for the runners and things like that um things yeah, that I haven't been able to offer yet but would love to so well it's really innovative and I gotta believe somebody's going to be behind that that doesn't necessarily just want outcome statistics for their money they, they want to throw money at something that's just good for the sake of the good and that's this is a good endeavor I'm trying to appeal to those people, so let's see. I, I will keep working hard. <laughs> I, I think my takeaway from this is that when I think about what my uh, my thirty year goal is, when I'm you know old and gray or grayer, I'm get getting some gray hairs in. But um, when I'm old and grayer, and at the end of my career, I want to be able to say that I contributed somehow to the normalization of mental health conversation so right now we talk a lot about how it's not okay to talk about mental illness and it's uh, you know it's stigmatized and all that and I want to make mental health and mental wellness cool you know as cool as physical wellness and physical fitness I mean we have spectator sports where people pay admission to go watch people uh, do their physical activities you know team sports individual sports and then we got people posting their own crossfit videos on facebook and instagram so wouldn't it be cool if we got mental health care to that level? And I want to make a plug for your Instagram. There is a Run Talk Run Instagram um, 
account to follow, and you guys are also on Facebook as well. So if you're interested and you're listening, please give them a follow and help elevate that conversation. Um, and I appreciate that this is starting to go that direction. You're starting to normalize the conversation by making it uh, just a thing that we do, and it's not this spooky, weird thing that, that we do uh, only if you know lives are on the line or whatever. So that all being said, my question to you to wrap this up is, where do you see yourself in 30 years? Do you have a long-term vision for what this might accomplish? I suppose um, to a certain extent, it's very similar to yourself. Um, I would love for Run Talk Run to be a social prescription. Um, something nice. I might steal that phrase. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a phrase that we actually use here um, for anything that isn't, you know, medical sort of um, suggestions that GPs give, um, and that is actually happening in a town just outside of London now. So if I could make that happen all over the UK, that is like a big, big goal of mine. So physicians are actually prescribing running? Yes. So um, the town is called Slough <laughs> and it's just outside of London. And yes, so if someone presented um, mild mental health struggles um alongside suggesting you know antidepressants and therapy they would also suggest look there is this community support mental health support group run talk run um i'd highly recommend you know you check them out and you go there sort of thing even as an interim whilst you're on the waiting list for therapy because in the uk we have huge huge waiting lists um to receive therapy on the nhs so, yeah, bridging that gap is what I'd like to do long term. I changed my takeaway after that. I'm, <laughs> I'm taking away something new. And I, I think it's to change the culture of the medical dialogue altogether and say there is an in-between. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, I think we get so caught up on the fact that, okay, for my mental health, I either need to take this drug or I need to see this therapist. But I don't think we're necessarily reminded by our doctors that actually you can do other things, you know? You can try other things. You just need that support network there to help you do that. And we've got lots of empirical studies that back that up, that, you know, the neurological functioning of the brain is massively helped by exercise. In fact, it's, there, there's clinical trials that show that exercise and running in particular are more effective than most SSRIs or um, other antidepressants or mood stabilizers that can be given. Mm, yeah, there is so much research, so, so much research. It's um, awesome. But we just need to create the spaces, you know? Um, I mean... Of course, you could go to any running club and get that benefit of exercising with other people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if we can combine the two, like run talk runners, then even better. <laughs> you know, creating that um, supportive environment where it's okay to talk whilst moving. Yeah. Um, well, I, sh I, I want to respect your time because we're coming up on your uh, hard out right now. But I sure do appreciate what you're doing. And... Um, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you carving out time for me. I know it's dinner time where you're living, and um, I get to go drive into the rural part of the state and 
do other work elsewhere. You've got a work like, day ahead of yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that's, you know, stop having fun, Jake. Go do work. But, it's been uh, really, really lovely to chat. Actually, really lovely. Thank you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably hit you up and check back in later. And it, and if you do manage to make it to Reno in March from Vegas, because it is not that far away. I mean, even if you catch a flight, it's it's a 55 minute flight. Uh, if you don't want to rent a car and drive through the lovely desert, um, it is beautiful, but <laughs> it's a, it's a different kind of beauty. Um, I think we should at least check in um, over the, the interwebs and, and if you're here, we can do another podcast in person and see how things are a couple months from now, but, yeah, uh, that would be awesome. Touch. I'd love that. Yes. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks. I'll let you go. And on behalf of the Noggin Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, uh, thanks to Jess for joining us. Um, reach out to us if you want info at nogginnotes.com info at zephyrwellness.org. And we all wish you great mental wellness. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.